Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. We've had two games in the last week, and sometimes it feels a little difficult to remember what's happened in the last week because time has seemingly just stopped existing. When, like, I mean, that's been the case ever since the pandemic started, but at least for me in particular, it's definitely been the case in this last week or two for whatever reason. But UConn with two easy wins. They beat St. John's 77 to 32. And then a few days later, they handled Xavier pretty easily, 83 to 32. The St. John's game actually was quietly one of the most interesting games of the season, at least in my opinion, because when they played St. John's exactly two weeks of the day prior at Gamble Pavilion, really the difference in that game was South was St. John's turnovers because St. John's shot 50% in that game and just turned the ball over a million times. And it was not a banner day for UConn's defense, but we get to this last game and well, also worth mentioning that St. John's Lalani Correa scored 33 points in that game. So we get to this most recent game, St. John's only scores 32 points. They shot the ball horribly. The final number was 29%, which is way less than 50% if you're bad at math, like I am. Kristen Williams, Kristen Williams shuts down Lilani Correa to just two points on one of 10 shootings. So we've talked a lot about the defense. We've talked a lot about them having a shutdown defender. I don't think Kristen Williams ever even crossed my mind in, into coming in that conversation. And obviously Lilani Correa is a good player, not necessarily someone that's going to win any national awards, but the fact that she can do it against anyone, she's never been a player that's known for her defense. So that is a huge, huge, huge development in her game that I don't think can be overstated enough. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Kareth scored 33 points against them in that first matchup and then to hold her to only two points in general would be, is just really good. But then to have Williams on her for most of the game, I think um, definitely a, a really big step for Kristen Williams to be able to kind of that have that kind of defensive assignment and really do that well with it. So I think, I mean, in general, UConn's defense in this game was really solid, obviously holding St. John's to 32 points. I thought, especially their first half was probably the best defense has looked all season long. And then the offense came with it as well, but it's just a really solid defensive performance all over. And then especially from Kristen Williams. Right. And I think that's something we've been talking about since I feel like the Marquette game. I mean, you throw out, those two games that they had at the final stretch of the five games in 10 days where they just were getting to the finish line of that. But really they've been very, very good defensively all around. It's not like, as Gino said, the other team's just missing shots. I mean, St. John's, they couldn't even get anything near the basket. They couldn't get any open looks. UConn really just shut them down. And the reason St. John's missed a bunch of shots was because UConn forced them to miss a bunch of shots, which I think is drastically different than the way UConn played at the beginning of the season. And Gino also made an interesting comment after the St. John's game that there, that the NCAA tournament preparation is beginning because you can't be a good team in March. Once March starts, you have to start playing like that before that. So with, I think the St. John's game, there were, there's four games before the postseason starts. Once that one ended, now there's only three. But this team is definitely trending in the right direction. 
in pretty much every facet of their game. And I think one of the most important turnarounds, someone we just talked about last week on the show about performing below par is Kristen Williams pretty much ever since our last episode, she's been playing very, very well, obviously good on the defensive end, but she's been hitting the 20 point mark regularly. And it really hasn't seemed like it's been overly difficult for her to get there. Yeah, exactly. I think that's another thing that just really stood out in that St. John's game is that I mean, Kristen scores 20 points or over 20 points as does Paige. And then Olivia Nelson-Dota also had 17 points. So it's like the two juniors that you kind of expect to be stepping up around this time come March. And then Paige really, uh, when they're all going on the offensive end, I think this is going to be a really difficult team to meet and to be, and then combine that of course with the defensive performance. It's just overall a really solid game. Like you said, all time kind of blurs together. But I think this is the game that Gino kind of after the game basically told us why he didn't have anything to complain about, which is something <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard him say before. So, I mean, just overall really solid performance from them, which looks really good heading into – makes them look really good heading into March being literally less than a week away somehow. <laughs> yeah, I looked at the calendar the other day, and it was like February 20th, and it's like, how did that happen? It was – like January felt like it was like a normal length month. Like January wasn't anything. Maybe it's just the snow and like, we can't actually go anywhere and have been inside at least in Connecticut for so many days because of the snow and the weather. But yeah, if anyone can find anything negative out of a performance, it's Gino. I mean, he could pick apart a 50 point 15 for 15 shooting night from someone if he really wanted to, by saying that they let their man buy them on the defensive end on two possessions or something like he is not afraid to just pick at any, just even of the slightest blemish from his team. But yeah, it was just wild to hear him say that he was happy with his team after the game. And I think just it's, this is the second year in a row that I think as we're getting closer to March, this team is really progressing and it is, it's just, as time goes on, it's just so disappointing that we didn't really see how last year's team could have panned out in the NCAA tournament, because I don't think they win the national championship. And if they end up in the region with Oregon, I don't think they get to the final four, but we, we will have no, we have no idea because they never got there and they were just playing so much better by the end of the year. And I think we've really seen it with this team and that Arkansas game is proving to be such an important turning point for them. It's just really interesting. I mean, these next three games, are just there's like no excitement level at least for me it feels like all right let's just get them out of the way and get into the Big East tournament but at least we'll see some sort of progression as they go on and another game against Marquette will be I guess an interesting measuring stick to see how much better they do in that game or how much worse they do in that game compared to their last time facing off so yeah I think just right now there's a lot of positives to talk about I I really don't think there's anything overly negative that we can mention. Right. I think they just look, I mean, have aside from those two games that were end of that, you know, five games and 10 days stretch, they just progressively look better every game, which is exactly where you want to be heading into March. You want to be playing your best basketball of the season. And I think this team very clearly is. So like you said, you've got, you know, kind of Creighton and Butler coming that are, dude, there's nothing too intriguing there. Just, hopefully seeing, you know, them building on the way they've been playing defense these past couple of days and on the offensive side as well. And then that Marquette game, at least, I mean, it's a, it's a tournament caliber team. So, and they did play really good against Marquette in that last outing. So seeing if they can build on that at all, I think is, is important to see, but 
yeah, it feels like we're just kind of counting down towards the postseason at this point, which is, I mean, it starts a week from Friday, so it's, it's not far away. That's, <laughs> that just doesn't register <laughs> at all in my brain. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it feels like it was two weeks ago that we were just sitting with nothing to talk about because there hadn't, there'd been one game in the last 25 days or whatever it was. Yeah, but to something you mentioned earlier, the fact that Kristen Page and Olivia Nelson Adota all played very well against St. John's. You look back at those three close games that they played, the Tennessee, the Arkansas, and the South Carolina game. I don't think there was in any of those games, like not even two of those players played right well, right? Like it was basically all Page against South Carolina. It was a lot of Page, at least late in the game against Arkansas. Avina Westbrook was also big in that game. Avina was also big against Tennessee. Page didn't do a whole lot besides obviously that big shot at the end of the game. So the fact that two of those players haven't even played well for UConn in one game, let alone all three going at the same time. Yeah. It remains to be seen if they can do that against a good opponent, but as Gino says a lot, and as I repeat a lot, it's better to see them doing it against bad teams than not doing it at all. Exactly. Yeah, I think, right, it's hard to tell, like, does this translate from, you know, playing St. John's to playing you know, South Carolina in the tournament or something like that, but I think at least seeing them doing it is a, is a positive sign because I don't think it's something we've seen much of this season really at all. I mean... I think maybe a couple of the early games in the season, but it's been a while since all three of them have had really good games together, I think. So I'd rather see it against St. John's and then hopefully, you know, we see it against Marquette in or next week and then heading into the Big East tournament. And of course, then going into the NCAA tournament is where they're going to really need to try to translate that against bigger teams to if they want to be a favorite to, to win it all. But I think it's a positive sign at least to see it happening now. Um, and hopefully we'll continue seeing it over these next few games as they're, they're building towards getting ready for March. Right. And I think the, the other important thing is that if those players are at least at an average level, UConn we're starting to see has so many other players that can either pick up the slack or just even add to it if all three of those players are on. I mean, we know that Avina Westbrook can score the ball, even if she hasn't necessarily done it a ton recently and hasn't shot the ball well. She's proved that she can do it this year, and I'm not overly concerned about her at the moment. I'm pretty sure she'll bounce back. And then Aaliyah Edwards will just rack up a million points, even off the offensive glass. I mean, she's maybe not someone that you want to go consistently to for points, but she can definitely score when she has the opportunity. And then even Aubrey Griffin, I feel like Aubrey is definitely playing at a more consistent level this season, but we haven't really had one of those just huge supernova performances from her. Like we saw last year against Seton Hall or in the AAC tournament where she just completely exploded and had these gigantic nights. I mean, I feel like it's coming at some point and maybe it'll happen in like the round of 64 and it won't mean anything, but maybe it'll happen in like the elite eight and it gets UConn to the final four. Maybe it happens in the final four and gets UConn on her. Maybe it happens in a national championship game and is the difference. Like, I feel like there's a moment, one of those games for Aubrey Griffin, where she's just going to completely explode and be that unstoppable player that we've seen flashes of. And I think that's just a very scary prospect for everyone else that's preparing to face UConn that they just have this cheat code of a player that at any given moment can just go off on you and there's not a whole lot you can do to stop her 
Yeah, exactly. And like you said, we haven't really seen that this season. I think we did see it on the offensive end, but when she came into the South Carolina game, she pretty much completely changed the game on the defensive end. And I think was a big part of what UConn was able to do in that game. Um, but like you said, sometimes she has games. We saw it last year where she's just like a machine on the offensive glass and she scores a ton of points just because she's getting every offensive rebound. She comes out of nowhere and that very well could happen in the NCAA tournament. I especially could see it happening if they play a team like Louisville in the NCAA tournament. It just doesn't have a lot of size inside. Like a team like that, she could just really make them pay inside. So I'm excited to see when it happens, but I agree. I feel like we're going to see at least one of those games before the end of the season. Can you imagine a lineup of like Liv, Aaliyah, and Aubrey against a team like Louisville? <laughs> and like that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Especially I mean, if all three are Louisville, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Louisville can shoot, but like they won't have any answer for that inside. I think you kind of pretty much just kind of eat them alive in the paint in that situation. Right. And then like it also helps that a player like Aaliyah, not Aaliyah, um, Aubrey is a very good perimeter defender too. So you have her in and she's a force down low, but you don't really get the mismatch of someone like Olivia Nelson, a Dota, where if she's playing on someone five inches shorter than her, even shorter, like she can't guard them out on the perimeter as well. Aubrey Griffin can pretty much do it all. So I think that's just what makes her more of a weapon when it comes to March, especially if she can, like, she doesn't need to be that spectacular player. It would definitely help for a game, but if she can even just be consistent where she's scoring, like, maybe 10 points and seven rebounds a game. Like that's all UConn needs from her. Right. Exactly. They don't need her to score 20 points. They have plenty of other players on this team that can do that. It's just that defensive edge that she brings and then kind of attacking that offensive glass and getting a few putbacks and things like that. That's that's what they need from her. And I think if she does that consistently down the stretch, they're going to be a really scary team to be playing come final four time, fully eight time, all that stuff. Absolutely. So someone we haven't talked about a, whole lot on this podcast but that came out of the St. John's game Sailor Poffenbarger got some time in the St. John's game and I think it's notable that she's the first player off the bench that's not in the rotation not one of those eight players that gets over 10 minutes a game she's only been here so long but it seems like she's favored off the bench over someone like Piaf Gabriel or Autumn Chasson and I have no idea what's going on with Mir McLean she barely been playing at all after getting at least some minutes in non-garbage time prior so it's a little weird but Gino had a pretty good answer about Sailor Poffenbarger and her progression after the game I mean she had one play well her only points were she posts up gets the ball finishes through contact and hits the layup and pretty much everything we had seen from her before that was just shooting from the three-point line and she had I think a either a good defensive player, nice rebound. So there's definitely some progression. I still don't expect her to be a contributor this year, but I think it's just good to see progress, especially considering how far behind everyone she is. And Gino had this pretty interesting answer to say after the game about that progression. Sailor uh, came in and you think about it with a little bit of a wide eyed. Oh my God. Like I can't believe I'm here. And that, lasted till the other day and the other day I said listen if you want to play and you want to contribute this year you have to stop acting like a high school kid like when you were in high school a month ago (laughs) when you were in high school you could think like a high school player you could move like a high school player 
And now you're in college and you have to think like a college player and you have to move like a college player. So that means there's a whole another level of effort and intensity and how you got to, you know, push yourself if you want to compete at this level. And um, it, the, the response was almost immediate. It was like the next day, Jamel and CD came over to me and said, what did you say to her? I said, I basically told her that this is in high school. And, you know, she did the rest on, on her own. And uh, I hope she keeps, the, you know, keeps improving, keeps improving, keeps working at it and keeps working at it. You know, she has a chance to break the NCAA record for most shots in the least number of minutes. It's a hell of a thing, you know. <laughs> so I think the fact that she's already made that switch and isn't acting like a high school player, like Gino said, is a pretty good sign. And again, the whole thing with Sailor is that it's building towards 2021. But I think she may have, I mean, over these next few games, I think it'll be interesting to see if she maybe gets more minutes and especially going into the Big East tournament and those first two games of the NCAA tournament. I don't expect any of those, maybe the final or semifinal in the Big East tournament to be close. But for the most part, those are all probably going to be blowouts. So I could see her getting more minutes than, like I said, Mir McLean or P.F. Gabriel or Autumn Chasson, just if she continues to improve. And like, I don't think she's going to be out there if they get to the final four taking a shot at the buzzer. But if she can at least get to a point where she's maybe not in the rotation, but also not at the end of the bench, I think that would be a great spot for her by the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really kind of impressive that she's already seemed to kind of jump some of those other players off the bench to come into the game. I mean, she's only been with the program, what, like a, a month? I, I have no concept of time anymore, but it feels like it's only been like a month. So I think to make that adjustment that quickly and when all these other players have kind of been there for, you know, since summer or six months or whatever they've been there for, it kind of just shows that she's in a really good spot already. And I think speaks volumes for where she'll be next year. But I think... It'll be fun to see kind of she gets some time in the Big East tournament. Like you said, a, a lot of those games aren't going to be super close. So there's definitely opportunities to bring in players off the bench. So get her some postseason experience this season. I think it's a, it's a huge asset for UConn going into next year. So to move on to the Xavier game, I don't think there's really a whole lot that's noteworthy out of that one. I mean, the fact that UConn wins easily, obviously a good sign, but Xavier's towards the bottom of the conference. So they're not overly threatening. The only thing of note coming out of that game is Paige Beckers twists her ankle in one plane briefly looked like she was in a lot of pain on the sideline, but I think it might've more just been frustration. So Gino in his classic way is asked about it by SNY at halftime. And he goes, I asked her if she'd be ready for the NCAA tournament. I can't tell you what she said. So I put her back in. So, I mean, he's, he said she's been struggling with that ankle. It was the same one that she twisted against Tennessee since that Tennessee game, but it doesn't seem to have slowed her down a whole lot. I mean, she's still, I mean, not a normal page Becker's game, but she was still fine and it didn't look like it was bothering her too much, but I think it's good that UConn has after that big East tournament, I think it's like a week off or a little more than a week off. So I think that'll definitely come be a big advantage for her. No, it's like two weeks off. It's a very long time before the NCAA tournament starts. So hopefully she'll be able to use that and everyone else who's banged up on the team to just rest up and get fully healthy for the final stretch. Yeah, agreed. I think that for this team, especially that that two week break is going to be a big asset after the Big East tournament, they kind of wrap up 
that and then they've got some time to heal up and practice and all before the NCAA tournament starts. It also gives me some more comfort if they're going to pay the Big East tournament that like if there was some kind of COVID issue at the tournament that they'll still be ready for the, the NCAA tournament. So hopefully there won't be any issues there, but I think having that two-week buffer is definitely a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about that. Like, well, I guess the Big East tournament's still going on. And I mean, what happens if like UConn plays – I just use Providence as an example because this happened last time they played, but UConn plays Providence in the quarterfinals and all of a sudden Providence has a positive test and UConn then gets knocked out of the tournament. So like, does that count? Like I, how would that work? Like would, if DePaul goes on and wins the tournament because UConn got knocked out, like I guess technically they're the champion, but it would be very weird if something like that happens. Like you can only hope that the bubble at Mohegan sun is going to work and you don't have to deal with any of these issues. Yeah, exactly. Like, hopefully they've got some kind of testing protocol set up for in advance and there won't be any issues, but it's not going to be great if something weird happens or, yeah. I mean, I don't think it really affects, like, UConn, like, making the overall tournament or anything. Just hopefully no one gets COVID because I think that's the bigger issue is just, like, are you all healthy in time to go to the tournament? The big tournament, the one that matters. Right. I was doing some research the other day and I actually found something pretty interesting. So, Creighton's game, the game against Creighton on Thursday coming up is going to be on February 25th. And something that's pretty bizarre is UConn hasn't won a regular season Big East title since 2011. So when they inevitably beat Creighton on Thursday and clinch the regular season Big East title, it's going to be their first Big East championship, regular season championship in almost exactly a decade because they clinched their last one on February 26th. 2011 so like obviously UConn's won every single one since they were in the American but it's just weird to think like the end of that Big East was when the Brianna Stewart run started so it's kind of funny that Brianna Stewart has more national championships than she has conference regular season championships and conference tournament championships too very weird that is weird I actually didn't know that but it's kind of funny Guess she got the ones that mattered so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think she'd take that uh yep <laughs> that, that trade so speaking of the big east tournament and the ncaa tournament we actually have some dates for those games so first the big east tournament it's going to start on friday march 5th uconn obviously won't be playing on that first day their first game in all likelihood is going to be at noon on saturday then they're going to play at 3 p.m. on Sunday, and then they're going to play at 8 p.m. in the championship game on Monday. Of course, that is all assuming that they're going to make it that far, which I think we can pretty comfortably say they will, barring a massive upset. And then they're going to sit for exactly a week. The Monday after the Big East tournament, that's going to be the NCAA selection show where well, we'll get to this in a bit, but it looks like UConn's pretty comfortably locked up the number one overall seed as long as they really don't fall apart here at the end. And then the women's NCAA tournament starts on kind of a weird date. Sunday, March 21st, those opening rounds, those first two games go until the 24th. The regionals begin on the 27th through the 30th. And the final four, still the same dates. The semifinal is going to be on Friday, April 2nd. The championship is going to be on Sunday. So it's exciting that we finally, I mean, we're this close to March. We're less than a week away. So, or yeah, less than a week away. So 
it's exciting to finally have dates, even though we kind of had a rough structure of it. It's, it makes it feel all the more real that it's almost here. Yeah, exactly. I think having actual dates makes it a little bit more tangible, though it's still really weird that it's already March or almost already March, but we are that close. So I think exciting to have dates and I don't know, the schedule's a little bit weird, but nothing too strange, I guess, in terms of COVID, so. Right, and the NCAA did announce that fans will be allowed from the regionals on down in San Antonio, so I think it's 17% capacity is what's going to be allowed, which very weird percentage to go with, but uh, that's why I'm not a health expert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Strength percentage. All those games are in the Aladome, so big building at least. So or Aladome, sorry. So hopefully it's safe for the people that do choose to go as fans. Right. So just mentioned it a little bit ago, but after this week, it looks like UConn's got a pretty good chance to be the number one overall seed. I think we just talked about it on last week's show. Yeah. that UConn could possibly lose that number one overall seed by doing nothing of their own fault just because of their weaker conference if South Carolina just finished the season strong and overtook them. Well, South Carolina loses last week to Tennessee, surprisingly. Actually a pretty sizable deficit. Apparently the Gamecocks just couldn't overcome playing with those Nike balls. <laughs> just too much of a hill to climb for them. Yeah, um, to- I think UConn, that pretty much locks up, unless they lose a game, which would be pretty shocking. It should lock up that number one overall seat for that. South Carolina, with that loss, I think, kind of falls a little further down on that one seat line. So would be surprised to see them climb into that number one overall spot, even if they went out from here. I think that loss is probably enough to do it. So, yeah, interesting game from South Carolina in general. And I think that, like, they lose pretty handedly and they don't play through Aaliyah Boston at all down the stretch of that game, which made basically no sense to me, but I'm not their coach. So whatever, but um, it, it was an, an interesting loss from them. I thought. I also kind of found it funny that like the first thing that Don Staley says after this game is, Oh, we just plain got beat. Like, mm, okay. I'm sure you would have said that <laughs> if you didn't receive all the criticism for your comment on using the different balls against UConn. <laughs> sure. <laughs> also louisville lost so that basically knocks out both the other contenders for the number one overall seed yeah louisville falls off the one line probably with that loss i would expect to so i guess a potential regional opponent for uconn um, they'll probably be on that two line i think this selection committee is supposed to release i want to say it's this coming monday their next look at things before conference tournaments um so we'll we'll see where things fall there but i think yeah, probably on the two line now. So probably a, quite a bit of a shakeup basically from the last time that the selection committee released that bracket because also UCLA lost this weekend. I feel like I'm forgetting someone else. There, there's been quite a handful of losses from kind of teams that were on those top two or three lines. Also with that win, well, I, I mean, it didn't help that Tennessee followed up that win with a loss to Georgia, but Tennessee was what, like 13 or 14 in that last uh, reveal, right? So they might have, like, it'll be interesting to see how much they climb, if anything, depending on their results from that last one by beating South Carolina. Yeah, I feel like the Georgia game might kind of balance it out and they just kind of stay in the same spot, but it's definitely, I'd be interested to see what happens there. I don't really expect them to fall from losing to Georgia. Georgia's still a good team, I think. I can't remember if they were in that top 16 seed reveal, but they're probably a five seed if they weren't. So a good team to lose to in general. And then obviously South Carolina is a huge win for them, but 
I think it probably just gets kind of balanced with that loss to Georgia. So as the closest thing to the resident bracketologist on this show, what would you guess the one seeds are? At least like right now, it would be UConn number one overall, and then probably South Carolina, Stanford, and A&M? Yeah, I think that's where I would have it too. I think that's it's probably in that order as well. I think I, I feel like Stanford might have a case to be the number two. I feel like there's a chance that South Carolina with that loss to Tennessee falls to the number three overall. So UConn, Stanford, South Carolina, and then AM. And I think I think AM and South Carolina probably are pretty locked on that one line, but it'll be interesting to see because they have to play each other still. That's the last SEC regular season game. Um and obviously the SEC is just very, very difficult this year. So if they drop another game or something in between now and then where they fall, I'm not really sure. But I think it feels pretty locked up that that's what's going to be on the that top line, especially with Louisville's loss being to an unranked team and the ACC just isn't that great this season. I, I would kind of expect that it's going to be South Carolina and Texas A&M. But, I mean, they also still have to play conference tournaments too, which can affect that. So who knows? <laughs> Texas A&M being good this year just – reminds me that they won a national championship in 2011 which still feels very bizarre and also just feels like such a missed opportunity from UConn because I mean if they win that national championship we're talking about three dual national championships which would have just been utterly insane the fact that no one else has done it once so of all like the women's losses like non-championship seasons like that one to me just for that reason alone feels like the one that really got away (laughs) yeah would have been pretty cool to be three times to a national championship so maybe there's another one coming but (laughs) not (laughs) it's the fours 2004-2014 so it's it's got to be the 2024 season so that's what like three years away so Paige's senior year right yeah yeah that would be Paige's senior year so that seems reasonable the dormant would win it we'll we'll see what happens with the men (laughs) I feel like they're the real wild card I feel like you can't blame that we haven't had three dual national championships in 2011 it's more like the men losing every other year (laughs) right the men have only not won it nine times a little (laughs) bit different there yeah yeah Yeah, I mean the (laughs) The women are going to win it. It's funny how we can just sit here and be like, yeah, the women are going to win it in 2024. I mean, you're going to have senior Paige Beckers, junior AZ Fudd. Like, it literally doesn't even matter. Just hire everyone. Like, just bring in everyone from EO Smith, and you'll win the national championship by 50. Like, it, it won't even be close. Yeah, exactly. So. Speaking of some of these future players, UConn's entire 2021 class, at least the ones that are still in high school, were named McDonald's All-Americans. So Amari DeBerry, Caroline Ducharme, and AZ Fudd were all named McDonald's All-Americans. Last year, Paige Beckers and Mira McLean were McDonald's All-Americans. Aubrey Griffin got it the year before. Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson-Adota also made it, as did Avina Westbrook and obviously Megan Walker, even though she's not here, but it was the same class, so... Pretty good honor, even though there's no game being played this year. But that's just one of those things that for recruits, like obviously there's always the the rankings and stuff. But like McDonald's All-American is just such like an iconic thing and such an iconic name to make that it always feels like it carries more weight. Yeah, agreed. I think it, I mean, because it's based off of their end of the senior season and women's basketball recruiting rankings are not always the most reliable thing. So I feel like, yeah, there's definitely some more weight to being a McDonald's All-American. So to have all three recruits on that list is definitely huge for UConn. I mean, obviously FUD was more than expected to be on that list, probably going to win the high school national player of the year. But I think 
it's great to see that Ducharme and DeBerry are also on that list. Right. Well, it's kind of wild that ESPN like redid their entire recruiting ranking system and Ducharme when she commits was 41st and now she's up to the fifth player in the country. And then DeBerry, I think is still pretty high. I think she was like five, she might've been five or something. And now she's 15, but other rankings have her as a top five player, but even still, I think she's still pretty well regarded, especially by UConn. So yeah, it's one of those things where it's a little bit of a surprise, but also it does kind of make sense just with how highly rated all three of those players are. Yeah, exactly. Like you knew this was a solid recruiting class. So not too surprising to see them all on that list. Just I think good to see that they all make it there. But like you said, kind of all up there in the rankings, though, someone going from 40th to 5th, like I think pretty much <laughs> shows you how reliable women's basketball recruiting rankings are. But <laughs> Right. Pretty unreliable. And I think we kind of saw that with UConn's 2017 class where they were all highly rated. But like once they got here, you could tell that they didn't really live up to their rankings. Whereas like this year, the fact that Aaliyah Edwards was so was ranked so low, like it just feels ridiculous that she wasn't like a top 10 recruit with how well she's played. Yeah, exactly. She's certainly playing like she was a top 10 recruit. And I mean, also just the fact that someone could play for like the Canadian senior national team and not be a highly rated <laughs> recruit doesn't really make a lot of sense at all. So <laughs> yeah, literally already on the, and it's not like, I mean, can't, can, not Canada, Canada isn't exactly like a powerhouse like the U.S. is, but like that's still a pretty solid national team. I mean, Kia Nurse plays on a handful of other WNBA players. So like making that before you get to college is pretty legit. Exactly. They're not, you know, a U.S. level national team, but they're a good national team. You're playing alongside WNBA players and players that play in pros overseas. So to be making that as like a high school senior is pretty darn impressive. Another national Honor for a UConn player, Olivia Nelson Adota makes the Naismith National Player of the Year semifinalists, one of 10 players. Not overly surprising. I was saying that I feel like she's maybe not as dominant defensively as she was this year. Maybe just her impact feels like it's less than it was a year ago just because her shot blocking numbers are down. And that's really the best way to measure her. But her hoop stats, the various advanced metrics on there have her as basically the 14th best defensive player in the country. I imagine that includes some players from lower level schools who aren't facing the same competition. So feels like she deserves to be on the semifinalist list. I'm not exactly expecting her to win it, but I think the recognition is good either way. Yeah, I think it's good recognition. I Like you said, I highly doubt she's going to win it. I, I think she's been solid defensively this season, but she hasn't been excellent. So I wouldn't really expect her to win that award, but good recognition to see her on that list. I feel like defense is one of those things that we still don't have like a stat that like really does a great job. We've got the advanced ones, like you said, that she ranks pretty highly in, but I think her block numbers and her rebound numbers definitely play into that a lot, but there's not a great metric that kind of shows you like who's the best defensive player. I was, I was a little surprised to see her on that top 10 list, but not overall shocked. And then I think, I mean, clearly I don't expect her to win it, but it still speaks to I think how good she's been defensively this season and also how good UConn as a whole has been defensively these last few games. For sure. So we've saved the best for last, just collected all of the various different things that have kind of come through as we've been working throughout the week. So today during the availability, Aliyah Edwards revealed that she's actually a vegetarian, which if you've noticed that all her teammates post things with her with a vegetable emoji, that would be why. And that is also just extremely terrifying that she's as strong and just 
physical as she is as a vegetarian. Like that just seems like an absolute cheat code. Yeah, it seems insane to me. I I don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy that yeah, she eats basically vegetables and is still able to be that strong and physical. So pretty fun fact, I guess. <laughs> Aaliyah just seems like a person, like the more that at least I've heard from her, she's very, very interesting. And like, I don't know if that necessarily comes across on the surface. I mean, like, obviously you have the purple and gold hair for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant and that stuff, but it just like, it, it just feels like there's a lot more to Aaliyah that people don't see. So I'm working on a story to help reveal that a little more, but she's just like, every time we get to talk to her, it just feels like we get something else interesting about her life that we haven't heard before. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the downfalls of just like everything being over Zoom this year and stuff because you don't have as many of those conversations that I think you typically have when you get like in-person availability. So I'm excited to read that story because it'll be nice to learn some more of that stuff. But yeah, I think it's just an overall downfall of how things are have to be run this year with COVID and everything. Right. Well, the best thing for that was at Gino's golf tournament every summer where like the players would come in like two groups and it would be at this like snack shack where there would be like a basketball hoop set up and people could like pay and either shoot free throws themselves or have a player shoot free throws for them for, I I forget like how it exactly worked, but it's fun because it's like a very laid back place and you could talk to the players, but it's like the most casual setting you get the players. And I remember it was a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, but we're just kind of standing around and I just, for some reason, happened to be standing near the hoops and Nafisa looks at me and she goes, she's like, do you want to pay 10 bucks? And I'm like, Nafisa, like, I really think you overestimate how much I make as a blogger. And she's like, well, it's like 10 bucks. Come on. She's like, like, I'll shoot him for you. And then at this point, Kyla walks over and she's like, come on, do it, do it. And to this day, I still really regret not taking them up on that offer. And I would have shot my own free throws, but like, it's just like, it's such a fun event where you get the players in a more relaxed setting. And obviously during the season, they're more, more focused and locked and have things to worry about. So just the fact that it's during the summer and so casual, it's just like a very good way or another quick story I have was this was the last one we had. So 2019, I think, and it happened to be going on during the women's world cup and the U S was playing Spain, like while I was there. So I'm trying to follow it on my phone. And I think I was talking to Evelyn on a bio and I'm like midway into like a story. And I just hear someone behind her go, Oh, the U S scored. And immediately all my focus for the interview goes out the window. And, <laughs> uh, I, like the moment we finished, I'm like, did I hear the U S scored? And Molly Bent is just like sitting there and she's like, yeah, like, I forget who scored Rapino or someone. She's like, oh yeah, Rapino scored like that. So then like I got to talk with Molly Bett for like five minutes about the national team before like I had to go off to do something else. But like, it's just those type of things like where you get the very casual, like informal type things to talk to the players. Like, yeah, those are definitely something that have been lacking this year. Right, I think that was like the round of 16 game, right? I'm trying to remember. It's fan. That sounds right. So. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. I thought, was that the round of... I think it was the round of eight because wasn't France the round of 16? Like France was unusually early. No, nah, France was the quarterfinals. I know because I was there. Um, so. <laughs> okay, wow, way to brag. <laughs> Casual. Casual. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, so my mom and I had like bought tickets for that World Cup. This is not really 
related to basketball at all. But anyway, um, my mom and I bought tickets for the World Cup, and we bought like semifinals and finals tickets, and we bought them like when they went on sale. And then you found out that France was going to be the quarterfinal game, and those tickets were selling for like ridiculous amounts of money. But fun the Twitter story is I like was trying to find someone that was selling tickets on Twitter and found this woman that was like a reporter for the Nigerian team, but she ended up just giving me her like fifth row tickets to the quarterfinal oh my game God. France. So that was very cool. A fun Twitter story. That's not related to basketball at all, but anyways. <laughs> Look, we've reached our off the rail segment. I mean, we specifically <laughs> designed this section of the show to go off the rails. So no, I am extremely jealous. Yeah, I was <laughs> just continuing on with the soccer segment. So uh, a couple of years back, we had a photographer that was helping out when Ian, our main photographer, couldn't go to games, who was on the women's soccer team. Her name was Pato. That was her nickname. Her actual name was Patricia, but she went by Pato and she was from Sweden. And we were going up to the men's NCAA tournament game at Rentschler Field. So I was driving there and we were just chatting and I forget how we got on the topic, but I was talking about how the women's national team had come to Rentschiller Field, I think it was the summer before. And my mom got these really good tickets that were maybe like five rows up in the corner. And when the US was attacking, it was on the left side. So like Rapino was playing directly in front of us and was like taking the corner kicks there and stuff. And I mentioned that Pato has like no reaction. And I kind of look at her and she's like, yeah, I mean, like I played against them in Sweden. So maybe just the the buzz of that's less for me. And I'm like, wait, you played against them in Sweden? And she's like, yeah, like in the Swedish league. Like, I, I didn't even have a response because it was like, are you kidding me? Like, you're just going to casually bring that up that you played with Megan Rapino. Like, that's insane. Shout out, Pato. Anyways, to get back on topic a little bit. So I was curious today. I, I asked Gino how their road trips are different with COVID because last year we were talking with Megan Walker. And Megan Walker, it took us like halfway through the season to get a get her to talk about anything at length like she would always give short answers wouldn't say a whole lot and then one time she just I forget how it even came up mentions that she loves when the team does trivia on road trips and we start asking her about trivia and like that day was the most Megan Walker ever talked so I was going back through that story just to kind of remember and to add it into my story now and then I'm writing off this availability and I came across this quote that I had completely forgotten. So they had just gone down on a road trip to Temple to play to Philadelphia, and it was early in the season. So apparently one of the questions from trivia was what famous river flows past the city and separates it from New Jersey? An unidentified player quickly threw out an answer, the Mississippi River. (laughs) Gino had this to say, I knew we were in trouble. I knew we had major problems. Hey, Mississippi is a famous river. Got that part right. I had completely forgotten about that. That is so funny. Like, it would be one thing if it was just some random river, but like the Delaware River is pretty famous for Washington's crossing on Christmas Eve. And just the fact that, I mean, even like regardless of that, like Mississippi is nowhere near Philadelphia. So (laughs) that was a nice little surprise to find today. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. the Delaware River is like famous enough that you would think someone would have come up with that before the Mississippi River considering geography but I guess that you don't have to be good at geography to be good at basketball so makes sense and and then I sent that story to someone who I thought would appreciate it and I got back another story that I think is also related to trivia and I'll leave out the player but apparently someone was asked to name the states in New England (laughs) 
<laughs> and their first three answers were New York, New Jersey, and Boston. <laughs> like, mm. like I, I understand the concept that they're going with when you start with New York and New Jersey, especially if you're not from the Northeast and don't really understand what New England is. But then you hit it with Boston on the third, and it's a little tougher to come back from that one. Yeah, also, like, they all play for UConn and Connecticut wasn't maybe a thought on that list. <laughs> well, I think there used to be this segment. I mean, it's wild to think that there used to be like things during timeouts, but they used to do this thing where it was like player versus fan. And I remember one yeah. of them was States, I'm pretty sure. And one of the players never guessed Connecticut. Like they guessed everything else except Connecticut. And then I think they also had one with like towns in Connecticut and they never guessed stores or Mansfield. Like maybe it was just one of those things that like, it was too easy that you forgot about it. I hope. Yeah. Maybe that's what I hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) Also UConn women's basketball tweeted this thing that it was four different photos of Nika Mule. And the question was, which, which Nika are you? And their comment was, it's Monday, so we're a solid four. And it has four different expressions of Nika, and it was very, very funny. But the best part is Darko, shout out Darko, friend of the show. Her dad tweeted with, quoted it with a laughing emoji and said, don't be near number one, which is Nika with just the ultimate stare down face. And very, very funny. Yeah, I I love that. I thought that was hilarious. So (laughs) she has so many great expressions too. I feel like we need more of them. Yeah, absolutely. like you could Like, like... yeah, we like make albums of what like Dan Hurley's expressions. I feel like you could make albums. <laughs> I was of just gonna mention Nika that. Mule's expressions. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely like has the like like Paige Becker's like just has the same look on her face like the entire game. Like Nika is like it's just from minute to minute, it is so drastically different. It's so entertaining. And like the photos that they picked are absolutely hilarious too, which helps. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I can't get over how funny these photos they got of Nika are, though. They're so good. <laughs> I have it in front of me. Well, if you've made it this far, oh, we should give the listeners another word to tweet at us. <laughs> you guys did pretty good last week. I, we got way more than we expected of hashtag canceled tw- Tampa 2025. What should it be this week? And tweet at us who your favorite women's national team player is. And if you don't have one, pick one and send it to us. If you have made it this far through Off the Rails Part 2. Yeah, Rose Lavelle is the only correct answer, but you can send them whoever your favorite is. <laughs> yes, that, that, that is true. Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Tweet us there who your favorite women's national team player is. Also, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly as well if you don't already. Share it with a friend. Read the UConn blog and store central. Megan, close us out. Thanks for listening this far. If you made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it.